You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. And we get to continue in worship, spending time in God's Word. So take a copy of His Word that you hopefully have with you to Romans chapter 9. Once again, Romans chapter 9. We're in the next section. We'll be taking just a couple verses out of it. Um, We're going to be in 19 through 21, really, but I'll start in 14. But on your way there, we've got a picture from last week, and Annika shared that. I don't get a lot of pictures from Annika, so I appreciate this. Last week, we looked at some of these verses uh, from the Old Testament. I believe this is, now I'm going off, I think this was Exodus 33, yeah, where Moses was talking to God, or really God talking to Moses, saying this, that Annika pulled out from the sermon, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And this is God speaking this, and then Paul brings this forward to Romans. So thank you, Annika, for that picture and drawing that. That's where we were. So I'm going to start back at verse 14, and then I'm going to read through verse 24. Just in the middle of this all, 19 through 21 is really where we'll be studying here, but this gives you some outlying context here. So verse 14, we saw this last week. Paul begins, listen to God's word. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Let's pray once again. Lord, as we come to Your text in this particular text on this particular week, and a week in which You brought each one here in your providence together, that we join together in worship today. Would you just encourage us today through your word and reveal to us by your spirit who you are. We've spent time, Lord, wanting to be who we are and wanting to make life about us. and It's so, so easy. So, Lord, help us to see who you are. You are the potter. May you just show us that through your text and through the preaching of your word today. May you bless this time by your spirit at work and for your glory. 
I pray in your name. Amen. There's quite a few questions here Paul is asking. Our section today just furthers along the questions of Romans 9. But I think also, in a way, the one question of Paul or, or the questions that we have before us, 19 through 21, kind of answer even just a host of questions that begin with why. Um, this week, maybe you've paid attention to the news, hopefully a little bit at least, and seen the tragedy in Nashville. So our brothers and sisters, Covenant Presbyterian Church, a good, looks like a good conservative Bible, gospel-preaching type church, and what happened there. And uh, they too, you just think of it, last week they were worshiping as we were worshiping. I believe they're even in the same time zone there. I don't know what time their service is. For them, this Sunday, though, looks a lot different, doesn't it? Questions in this might abound. Questions of why. Why these kids, or why did this happen, or how do we make sense of it? Those are, those are questions to be asked. There's questions in Scripture. One, I would just propose not to be trite or a simple, kind of a simple answer, but one answer coming out of verses 19 through 21, I think, gives us an answer to the question of why, though it may, to some, it might sound less than satisfactory. As I said, questions here loom large in Romans 9. They begin with Israel. Has God failed? That was verse 9. Has, really, has, has God failed in his choosing of Israel? That's a question. I mean, if, if in large part they've rejected this Christ who is God over all, has God failed? Paul, Paul answers, no. And his word has not failed for Then he goes on to explain, not all who descend physically from Israel belong to Israel, the children of God, that is. So that true salvation doesn't come by mere flesh or by works. It comes by the God who elects and calls. Well, on the heels of that then, on the heels of Jacob I love, Esau I have hated, comes verse 14 and another question. Is God just? We looked at last week. Is he just in the choosing of one and not the other? Paul's answer again is, is yes. The will of man is subordinate to the will of God. It's God alone who will show mercy to whom he will. And then, as it ends there, verse 18, he will harden whom he will. Ultimately, it is God who will, again, justly accomplish all his will for all of his glory. And on the heels of God then, having mercy on whom he wills, hardening whom he wills, Paul anticipates another question related then to man's responsibility before God. So look at verse 19 as we come into our text. There's applications coming out of this, but let's look at what the text says. Verse 19 again, Paul anticipates. He says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? If, so think of the reasoning here. If, if it's truly God alone who who hardens this one and then not this one, and he's got mercy here but not there, then a question comes, how is man, how is man to blame and be at fault? For who can resist God's will? Man can't resist it, so how are we at fault? Notice this question, what it doesn't ask. It doesn't ask, how can God have such mercy on sinners? That's not the question. It's more, well, if God made us this way, then then we're not really responsible for sin, are we? We're not really to blame. I think man's 
heart in rebellion. It's just bent towards just trying to, again, not to say, oh, what mercy, but well, how am I justified? I think I'm justified because I can't, I can't do anything. But it's this kind of justifying of sin. Before we go on, it's good here to pause and just try to get a handle on thinking about the will of God. That can be a big topic. I want to look at it, I think, theologically. There's two ways of looking at the will of God. One is God's, what's called his decreative will, or his decretive will, or sometimes called his secret will. J.I. Packer calls God, this God's, his will of events, where he foreordains whatsoever comes to pass. This is God's, God's will, this overarching he decrees, will of decree. That's one. The other will referred to, not that these are just kind of separate, God's like a multi-personality, but the other is called God's preceptive will. Wayne Grudem calls it God's revealed will. It's actually what you've got in front of you. It's the word of God to us, and, and more specifically, God's commands to us. How does God will that people ought to live? What ought they to do? That's his revealed will. I want you to head back to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy chapter 29, where we see this. Find Deuteronomy 29 and then verse 29. Give you a second to find back there. Deuteronomy 29 and then really the last verse of chapter 29. And this is just helpful for us. Actually, in one package, in one verse, a helpful verse to think about this will of God. So Moses here in chapter 29 of Deuteronomy, we're just jumping in. He's calling. This is before they've entered the promised land. He's calling. He's warning the people of Israel to obey the Lord. Don't don't turn away from your God. And then verse 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So there's the law here. There's God's revealed will. It's which men were accountable to this law. We're accountable. God says, worship the Lord. God says, do not lie or be holy. Those sorts of things. On it goes. But it's the first clause of this that helps us understand this, this secret will of God that, that behind, and I think we could say primary to man's doing or not doing the, the revealed will of God, there's God's sovereign, his, the secret things, his secret will. Even a will where man might do evil, going against God's revealed will, and yet even in that evil, think of Joseph, think of other places, God uses it for good. All right, that's one place. On your way back to Romans 9, take a stop at Acts chapter 2. I I know I've shared this before. It's also helpful when we think of the will of God. So come back to Acts 2 on your way to Romans 9 and verse 22. Fitting here, Palm Sunday, we're looking forward to Good Friday, thinking of Christ on the cross, crucified for sinners, for all who look to him. And then his resurrection. After all that, Jesus has ascended. Holy Spirit's come. Here's Acts 2. Peter speaking in verse 22. He's addressing the men of Israel. He says this. Think of these wills, the will of God. 
Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus. And here it is. Here's this secret. Here's the will of God. Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. We call that the secret will or will of decree. Then look at this other. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You think of the revealed will there. So it's, it's the secret will of God's decree in that God ordains all that comes to pass. And in so doing, He remains just. He remains without sin. And yet God will use, as we see here, both those that obey and disobey His his revealed will, he'll use them in service of his ultimate will of decree, which is really at the end beyond our understanding. And you can see why Paul might say how inscrutable are his ways. We just simply acknowledge that whatever God ordains is right. And I think as you come back to Romans 9, it's this, it's this secret ordaining will of God that's most, I think, most in mind of our text today. Coming back then to verse uh, 19, the second question here, verse 19, is uh, related, kind of aims at the cause of the blame. Why does God blame us? Why does He find fault? And really, it's because it's, it's he doesn't find fault because we can resist him, or we can't, can't resist his will, so why does he still find fault? And so the idea here is, is the question, who can resist his will? Resisting here defined as to be in opposition to or set oneself against or oppose. So since it is true that no one can resist and get in the way of God's will of decree, again, how can that make the individual responsible? A Doug Moop the commentator I've used before, he makes an interesting observation here. He says this, Paul never offers, here or anywhere else, a logical solution to the tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility that he creates. That he affirms, and then he's talking about human responsibility, is, of course, clear. We must never forget that Paul will go on and Chapter 9, we'll see it, verse 30 through chapter 10, verse 21, to attribute the Jews' condemnation to their own willful failure to believe. He says this, Paul is content to hold the truths of God's absolute sovereignty in both election and in hardening and of full human responsibility without reconciling them. I think it's Spurgeon who who when asked the question of how do you reconcile responsibility of man, sovereignty of God. He says, I don't try to reconcile friends. I think that's a helpful quote. So the assumption here, behind this question that Paul's posing of someone, perhaps, behind this is that if God's will is decreed, then man is is therefore not responsible. Paul, Paul has an immediate answer to this. It's just, I don't think it's as complicated as we might expect. Look at verse 20. He begins, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? What is molded? Say to its molder, why have you made me like this? It's quite a question of Paul 
in response. Who are you, O man? Maybe in modern language, it would, just, it, would, it would be just who do you think you are, O man? Who do you think you are? Paul's going to tell us who we are. But notice verse 20 seems to aim at man. And the answer to the objection of man's blame is answered by defining here who man is. And then defining who God is. I think when these get swapped, when we don't figure out the definition of man, the definition of God, then we have an issue. It's really man's, his sin-cursed, his autonomous. Think of the autonomy of man's self. It's this autonomy of man that begins to dare answer back to God and question, why this? Or is this still this way? Or how could you do this and be fair? Those sorts of things. Now, as we think about those questions, let me just say this, kind of an aside. These, these are not the questions of the brokenhearted. Okay? So there's different questions that can go on. Brokenhearted, those trying to understand, like talked about this last week, a horrific event, seeking God in reference, uh, reverence, and then at the same time wondering why this is happening. Doug Moo, again, he writes, Paul is not here denying the validity of that kind of questioning of God, which arises from sincere desire to understand God's ways and an honest willingness to accept whatever answer God might give. It's the attitude of the creature here, that is, presuming to judge the ways of the Creator, to answer back that Paul implicitly rebukes. So the questions here are taking the place of God. They're rising to stand in judgment upon God. That what he has said, who he is, what he's decreed, it's just simply not right. And even, even us, even us who know Christ, we can do this ourselves. We can, we can grumble about the weather that God ordains. We, we grumble and complain. Or we grumble and complain about the people that God has put around us. Or grumble about our family. Or we complain about this health ailment or a situation we find ourselves in. I'm not promoting here kind of a like fatalistic, just, oh, whatever happens, whatever will be, will be. God will sort it out. I'll just kind of take a break, that type of attitude. God, God calls us to live, to do, to act in His creation. Take care of your health. Do this. Move here. Those, all those sorts of things. But we also, in our grumbling, in our complaining, we need a good dose of this, if, if you could call it a slap across the face here, to say, who do you think you are, O oh man? Because at times, it is what we think we are. We think we are God. We think we are little gods that rule our kingdom. And we tell then God what He must be like. And this is what you must do. We want to heed the warning of verse 20. Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? And so Paul asks in verse 20 another question. And reminds the one who is questioning, he reminds, no, in fact, you are the molded. You are the formed. You're not the molder. You're not the form-er. That's what the end of verse 20 says. Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? In fact, the question, the second one here in verse 20, it begins with, there's just a little two-letter kind of Greek. It's called a particle. It's a little Greek word that marks it really, I think, marks the answer before the question's ever given. You don't really see it in there. You can hear it implied. Yet the answer is, of course, 
know, or well, what has molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? You go, that, that doesn't happen. There's, a, there's an implied no. In the Greek, there's kind of this answer before it comes. No, it, this is not the case. For instance, somehow I always go, again, food illustrations. Think of making a pizza on your own. Not broccoli this week, pizza. You're making a pizza. When you put the little pepperonis on the pizza, you do not hear the little pepperoni going, why did you put me over here? I would rather be on this side of the pizza. You just put them there. Or the cheese doesn't talk back and say, Don't, I'd rather be more over here than over there, and so forth. The, the, the sauce, all that, they go where? They go where the maker puts them. Or art, made by an artist. Art itself, the picture, doesn't talk back and say, I wish you would have put the paint, I wish you would have done this over here, and maybe put another tree, another happy little tree over here. It's the artist does it. It's the maker or the book. The book has no authority over its author. It's the work. It's the glory of the one who wrote it. And I think only in the movies, the Pixar movies, are where the cars and the bugs, that sort of thing, where they talk back. Creation, though, in our Father's world, plants of the field, the trees, think of soaring eagles, or majestic, I know they're not so much around here, majestic, think of an elk or a, or a big a deer. The heavens, think of the earth, they have a creator, they have a molder, and so do we. I want to read to you just a section out of Isaiah 45 and I'll read verses 5 through 12. I think it's powerful, and it just gives weight towards what Paul is saying here. Listen to these words coming out of Isaiah. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open, that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Verse 9 says, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots does the clay say to him who forms it what are you making or your work has no handles woe to him who says to a father what are you begetting or to a woman with what are you in labor thus says the lord the holy one of israel and the one who formed him ask me of things to come will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands i made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. But as we've seen in Romans 1, even, the creature has abandoned the creator, the maker. Romans 1, at least a few verses go like this For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man 
and birds and animals and creeping things. Romans one twenty four says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In our day, a man or a woman can be whoever they like, according to the world. Born a man, you can change that. and Kind of take that, God. We'll just do our own thing. Or marriage is not no longer the covenant bond of one woman to one man in the eyes of God. Now it's based just on who you love, no matter who the who is that you love. And so wrong is celebrated. And tolerance really requires tolerating Sin, and it's a world void of God and a world who, in fact, hates God. That's our world, and I, think, I don't think any of you would disagree with that. But let us remember, Paul here, he is writing to Christians, and so Christians, Christian brother or sister, let us heed the warning of verse 20 ourselves. Paul's writing to believers. Who are you to answer back to God? Who are you who have been molded by God, the molder and former of all things, to question, why have you made me like this? Why do you do this? There's one more question for our time today in verse 21. If you're counting, it's the fifth one. It's verse 21. One more question. Has the potter, Paul says, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. Paul here, he's using such a helpful, seems maybe, maybe it's even just a universal uh, illustration, the image of this potter and clay. It's the image you've got on the front of your bulletin. It's been there a couple weeks, and I appreciate George helping, even from afar, helping to, to make that for us. But you see it there. There's this image of the, the potter and the clay. And here the the word associated with potter, in fact, in verse 21, is that word of authority or right or power. Has the potter no right? So thus does God. Does God, the potter, does he have a right? Does he have an authority over the lump of clay? And the implied answer, again, is yes, of course he does. And so Paul's focus, I think, here, it's on God, the potter, and it's on this right of authority of the potter. In fact, in Greek, the word, the word right that you have there, or authority, actually comes in the sentence, comes before the word for potter. It's, I think there's some emphasis there, that God is the potter who has the right, and he is just, and he is holy in what he does, to do whatever he wills with the clay. So the clay's job is not to not to to pose questions or to fret and fear or make up life kind of on their own, figure it out. It's to submit, the clay is to submit to the authority of the one making it, of the potter, and obey. The second part of verse 21 deals with what God does with his lump of clay. Here it's referred to as a vessel. The same lump, one vessel this, another for, for this. Vessels like a container or like a dish. And it's symbolic language, I think, for us to see men and their wills and what they will 
in relation to the sovereign. And here in that word sovereign, sovereign, the reigning of God, His will in all things. Out of the same lump, God makes this vessel honorable use, this one for dishonorable. What is the key here is that the use of the vessel is determined how? Not by the vessel, but by the potter. Verse 21 answers, it's God, the potter, who makes one like this, the other like that. One vessel honorable use, one vessel dishonorable. And yet, there's no out in this passage. Again, Paul's creamed kind of that argument. Well, then why are we to blame? There's no out for man to say, well, I'm not responsible. I'm not to blame for my actions. God will. He does hold men accountable for sin. We've, we've already seen that even in Romans 3. And through God's revealed will, it's the Scriptures. Through them comes knowledge of sin and what? Our deserved condemnation. And in that, God is the molder and He's the potter, forming this one, bringing this one low. All the while... What shall we say? Is there injustice on God's part? Verse 14, by no means. Now, as we go in the weeks, we'll, we'll take a break next week from Romans, Easter time, but get back to it. We're going to look at these vessels prepared by God for His glory. For now, just let's let two truths of verse 19 and through 21 here sink in. Two truths. Number one, who are you, O oh man? That's one of them just in case we forget or we find ourselves questioning the ways of God in a a judgmental, kind of a prove it, Lord, or that type of way. As we question these, God's Word here, He writes our listing ship. I've kind of been in the past six months into the, the shipping, you know, the Lake Superior and the boats and the Great Lakes and Hannah even got me a book on the Fitzgerald. I think it was when that song was played, so, you know, The Wreck of the Edmunds Fitzgerald, you know, the, that one, um, into ships. But, so I'm not a ship expert, but ships list. I'm not talking about a list. They probably have lists, but it lists. Like the, the side-to-side of a ship, the instability of the ship. And from what I read, in order at least much to help the ship with a listing problem is to put ballast in the ship water or whatever else they do to do that, to get the ship upright and steady and stable. And I think here, for our minds, when we want to question God and what's He doing and why this and those why questions, Romans 19 through 21, they're just a heavy dose of ballast to our listing ship, so to speak. When we're tempted to talk back to God, just question Why does he do this? Why does he say this in Scripture? So who are you, O man? Number two, then, who is God and what is right? Listen to Isaiah 64.8. Again, pottery language here. Isaiah 64.8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. I think keeping this truth in mind before us in in our day, it's so helpful for us to remember our, our place. Our place. God has ordained that in all of our sin and rebellion, we're, we're fully to blame. We're accountable for our sin. God, God hardened Pharaoh's heart while holding Pharaoh completely accountable for his own hardened heart. And to think more, to understand it more, 
Again, I think we just say with Paul, how inscrutable are God's ways. So when tempted to question why, we encourage you just consider him who ordains all things. And as I said at the beginning with the tragedy in Nashville, there's some application that also comes out of this passage. In a minute, we're going to sing a song we've sung maybe a month or two ago, Whatever My God Ordains is Right. I think it's fitting as we think about this passage. The worship team wants to come up front. We'll sing it in just a bit. It's really a declaration of ours. As we sing it, think of declaring to the Lord, Lord, you are the potter. I am the clay. To to say to the Lord, we're going to trust you what you do, no matter what you do. No matter what the weather is or what my health is or what this family situation that we want to trust the Lord, no matter what. To really say to the Lord, you, Lord, are the righteous potter. I am the clay. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing this song. Lord, I pray as we, as we sing through this song, may it be our, our declaration to you, Lord, to recognize your authority to do all of what you will do according to your good and righteous and just decree. And Lord, in the hardships, there may be questioning. We don't understand all of your ways, but we can trust that you are just and you are good and you are a good potter and maker. Lord, for those struggling with that today, may this song, may this time, may your word be the encouragement to trust in you as simply clay under the authority of our master. I pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.